welcome to another episode of Project Killing Sin. Um, if it's your first time, if you're joining us, you know, if you've been with us since the beginning, welcome and welcome back. Um, it is such a joy to have you just tuning in to listen to the Word of God. It is it is amazing that you're able to do this. It's it's amazing that you have chosen to take this time and just be saturated by the Word of God. And um, obviously, it goes without saying that I'm I'm I might be I may be the one speaking, but it is the work and the voice of God that is going through me and to you and is empowering you to go forward in your life and just be the change that he wants you to be in your community and in the wider world. Um, so yeah, we're just going to dive into it this week. Um, I know it's, it's, it's been a heavy week for me, at least. I don't know about you, but it's been a heavy week since, um, the last, the last episode. And that is because it came down really heavy. You know, I am, I am so aware. I am acutely aware of the heaviness of the foundation that we laid, um, in the start of this conversation. And, you know, for the for the people joining us for the first time, I'd encourage you to just go back and listen to last week's episode and even the previous ones just to get a full context of where we're at and uh, what we're discussing. Um, but yeah, for the sake of catching up, for the sake of, you know, just getting us up, up to speed, we are on this journey, a three-part conversation to just kick off this podcast and to kick off the theme of this season, which is the radical life. And we're talking about God. And it is a three-part series where we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And last week, we kind of laid down some very um, fundamental foundations of who God is and the kind of radical God that we serve. And in that, we kind of saw the seriousness of everything that we have called to we have been called to be as Christians and it is it is a heavy heavy calling that is actually quite impossible and it can only be achieved by God through the way that Jesus made and with the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given us and this week we just want to dive into the person of Jesus and we're going to be looking at a very kind of um how can i say it like a very specific trait of Jesus that kind of aligns us with this theme of the radical life. And before we get into that, I just want to pray um, over this whole conversation that even as we begin, that our hearts may be open and our ears may, you know, they may remain open as we go through the entirety of this conversation. So dear Lord, thank you so much for this time you've given us. Thank you for my brother and my sister under the sound of my voice, wherever they're at, or whatever time they're choosing to listen to this. It is no coincidence that they are able to just tune in. And I thank you so much for the work that, that you are doing in their lives and the work that you're doing in my life. And even as we continue to just interact in this, in this session and in the future, Lord, may your word always be glorified and may you always be glorified. May you show us how to live a truly radical life for you, even as we dive deeper into your word. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, here we are, part two of the radical God that we serve. 
And like I said, I just want to dive right into it because it's it's uh, going to be quite an interesting conversation as we explore this particular trait of Jesus. And as we're talking about the radical life of Jesus, it is actually the most pressing life that we need to live because we are called Christians. We are Christ-like we are followers of the way. The way is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through him. And as followers of Jesus, followers of the way, Christians, we must get our identity from Christ. And Christ, first and foremost, taught us that um, our identity is in God the Father. And that's why we started this whole conversation with the fundamental foundation of who God is. But Christ is also God. He is fully God, fully man. And I know that that's, that's just like it's a whole other conversation that I am hoping to dive into later in the season or in upcoming seasons. But it's going to be an amazing, amazing conversation as we just go through uh, what it means to be fully God, fully man. But for now, we're kind of focusing on this idea of radical when it comes to the life of Jesus. And quite honestly, everything Christ did was quite radical. His entire life, like the, the three years of his ministry that is recorded in the Bible, and even even the, the his childhood, you know, up to 12 years old, what is recorded and what is given to us, it is quite radical. His birth, it all started quite radically. And as his followers, we are challenged in every single thing that we do to have the mind of Christ. And there's so many themes that we could pick up from, but today specifically, because of the foundation that we set, I want to kind of um, add, just add layers. It isn't watering down in any way, shape or form from what we talked about last week, but it is just to add a layer and like to keep adding layers into this idea of who God is, this very real idea of who God is, and this, this, this truth of what it means to be radical. Um, now, like I said at the beginning, I'm very aware of the heaviness that last week's episode had. And again, like I said, if you, if you are anything like me, you have spent the whole week with this kind of almost daunting thoughts in your head of like, man, God, you are so serious. You are so, you know, like you are, you're just, you are, you are God and you are real and you are, it is so hard to please you. And I feel like there's such a huge gap between us and, oh man, I just don't, I don't relate. And this can be the, the way that we perceive God most of the time, especially as Christians. Um, sorry, as, especially as, as like seasoned Christians where we like, come into Christianity with this view of God is this all-forgiving, all-loving, which is true. But then we get into the nitty-gritties of the Bible and we begin to see a whole new facet of God. And when it comes to God the Father, we can easily be detached from the love, the kindness, the patience, the goodness that he has. But we shouldn't forget that this same God is the same God that is in Christ, the same God that is in the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. It is the same God. So we are not, and the, and the aim of this conversation is not to split the Trinity, but it is to show us the kind of multifacetedness 
of the God that we serve and just how beautiful it is and the length that he went to to make sure that we are restored in full relationship with him. And the reason why last week had to be so heavy was because the foundation of who God is must, must, must be based on perfection. It must. If it is anything but that, then we begin to turn God into this ethereal being who does everything we want and who understands when we are, when we fall short because he also falls short. We kind of fall into this trap where we equate God with the things that we're going through and we kind of put him down on our level and assume that he also struggles with the things that we struggle. So by that virtue, he must understand when we don't follow his word. But it's the complete opposite. He does not struggle with the things that we struggle. And the laws and the, and the ways that he has given us, he has called us to be holy. He has, he has demanded perfection if we're to approach his nature. But on the flip side, he is aware that we cannot do that on our own strength. So he has given us the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But the standard for perfection is still very, very present today. Again, this isn't to say that he is not kind, that he is not forgiving, that, that he has not gone to great lengths to ensure that even in our imperfection we're not far from him. Quite the opposite. He has, he has come into time. He has stripped himself of, of eternity to come and, and empathize with us through the person of Jesus Christ. So it is, it is far from the truth to think that he is this impersonal God, like a lot of people have the habit of thinking. And that is the whole premise of this conversation that we're having, because the radical life that we've been called to as Christians must begin with a radical God. And the radical God in the first part that we saw is a God of perfection, a God of high, impossibly high standards. But that same God is the same God that we're going to see today through the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see a trait in Jesus Christ that kind of links that God that we saw last week, that like that face of God that we saw last week with the face of God that we will see next week. So Jesus is kind of this, this connection, uh, quite fittingly known as the way that connects us to the Father. And I, I just want, um, my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this conversation today, you will begin to see that, you know, God is good. And I say good like he wants the best for us, but he has called us to live in a very upright way that unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit and unless we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who has died for our sins, sent by the Father, we are living a complete lie. Um, yeah, so let's just dive right into it. I mean, okay, I've been saying let's dive into it for the past 11 minutes. So let's go. Um, the radical life of Jesus. The trait that we're going to focus on today is peace. And you might be asking, well, what does peace have to do with the radical life? Um, or some of you, you know, for the smart ones out there, you've probably already seen the kind of, uh, like, you can draw out examples of the radical peace of Christ and how he lived his life in such a way that it was, it, I mean, I look at it in the Bible and I see, I see this Jesus who is 
so radical, challenging the status quo. He is opposing the systems of the world that are out to kill Christians and to just suppress the word of God. And yet, there is such a peace about how he does everything. And it is so baffling because sometimes he, quote unquote, goes off the rails. You know, the, the most famous story is, you know, when he flips the tables at the, at the temple or like when he cusses the, when he curses the fig tree. And it's like, oh, this, this seems, this seems a bit rash, but yet this is peace. This is Christ peaceful. And it, it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting, but <laughs> I mean, there's no but. It, it is quite interesting and it really just confuses my mind. Um, and as I was going through just this, this week and preparing, uh, like what I'm going to be talking about, it was very clear, like God made it very clear that he wants us to know the peace of Christ if we're going to live a radical life. And not just to live a radical life, but knowing about this topic of peace actually solidifies the foundation that we've set from last week on who God is and the radical God of the universe. And it sets us up to go into the next part of this the final part of this conversation to know who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives. So we're going to start right off with the book of John, and we're going to be in the Gospels today, um, mostly. So we're in John 8, verse 57 and 58, and I'm reading from NLT, and it says, um, so this was a conversation between Jesus and, and the people. And I'm just going to read out. It says, this is 57, 58. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? So Jesus has said that, that he had seen Abraham. This is, this is the, this is the part where, um, Jesus declares that he is God. And the reason I want to start with this is to kind of dismiss this thought that Jesus is not God and that the two are unrelated. So the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Now, this verse is very powerful because Jesus makes a bold statement. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. I am is the same statement. Sorry, did I say Jesus? Before Abraham was even born, I am. And this is such a huge statement because this is the statement that God uses to identify himself. And he identifies himself throughout the Bible. And I think the, 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 the instance that I can definitely remember that sticks out in my head throughout my whole lifetime, uh, throughout my whole life thus far, has been his introduction to Moses in the burning bush. And he says, I am, when Moses asks, who will I say that sent me when I finally go to Pharaoh? And God says, I am has sent you. And here we have Jesus who was boldly proclaiming, before Abraham was even born, I am. And this is, it isn't new for John to say this. It isn't a new, it isn't a new declaration because we see in John 1 verse 1, it says in the beginning was the word, the word was his God and God was the word and nothing existed that, you know, the, everything that existed came through the word of God. And it is very, it is, it is such a bold statement. 
it is so bold. And the reason I wanted to fundamentally start with this verse is to dismiss this idea that Jesus is not God. That, that, that he is this, this just a perfect man who came and walked this earth, who was in good standing with, with the actual God, but he really wasn't God. No, no, no. By his very declaration, he confirms to us, which has already been confirmed throughout the Bible, but, you know, just kind of just having that emphasis that I am. And another reason why I wanted to start with this was to kind of just link last week and this week. Um, obviously, like I've been saying over and over, to know that this is the same God that we're talking about, but also to know that there is a whole new layer to this facet of God, and that is the humanity that he has come to demonstrate so that, you know, as he stripped down from and and as he stripped down and left the, you know, his kingdom, his eternal kingdom and came down to dwell with man, he came to give us a radical bit of information that is practical and that is a gift to us as humans today. And that is what we're going to focus on today, which is peace, the peace of Jesus. And I say this specifically, the peace of Jesus and not the peace and not just the peace or peace, because there's different types of peace. And we're going to see that as we just keep going, um, you know, as we keep progressing in this conversation. Um, and I, I want to start as we talk about this peace of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah six, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says, uh, and it's a very common verse. I'm sure a lot of you know this. Um, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So Isaiah is kind of giving this prophecy of a king who is to come, and he says that this, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be a wonderful counselor. He will be an everlasting father. And he finishes by saying he will be the prince of peace. And then he goes on in the very next line to say his government and its peace will never end. And right off, right off the bat from this verse, from uh, this kind of passage, we're seeing there's a big difference between the peace, the, the, the peace, sorry, the peace that God, that God has given us through Jesus and the peace that we see everywhere else. And I want to categorize these into two kind of, um, into, in, into two schools. So there's the school of the peace of Jesus and there's the school of the peace of man. And we're going to just dive into what these two look like so that we can understand what radical peace looks like for us today. See, the peace of Christ is, is strange. Like if you were to just take this verse that we've just read and apply it to even the world that we're living in today, a government that has a peace that will never end, that is unheard of. There is so much division in the governments today. And I'm not even talking about the different governments. I'm even talking about specific governments. Like every government has 
split, like has so many splits in it that attaining peace is so difficult. And it has meant that the word peace has had to be watered down so that it can mean something that is kind of like a placebo to us just to just to help us sleep at night. And it has become so bad, as we're going to see um, in just a few moments, this peace that that the governments have and 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 when Isaiah talks about governments he's not talking about he's not talking about just the government that we know today he is talking about leadership in every single area of our lives because that is governance and he is talking about this idea that there will be one who will come who will bring a unity and a peace and I I I I want you to kind of note those two words unity and peace in in the in in the kind of um, in the spaces that we occupy, especially in leadership, and the reason why he d- he dwells on this idea of leadership is because it is in leadership that we gain a good kingdom. It is in leadership that 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 a people thrive. It is in good leadership that resources are well distributed. Are well distributed. That it is in it is in good leadership that 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 all the issues are dealt with. Well, it is in good leadership that we that we have peace, essentially. If there is no good leadership, there will be a lack of peace. And Isaiah is so bold in his declaration that he says, the peace that will come from this, this child who is born to us will not just be any peace, and he will not just be any peacemaker. He will be the prince of peace. He will be the mighty God. He will be the everlasting Father. He will be the wonderful Counselor. In these declarations that he makes, we can begin to see the nature of God the Father. We can begin to see the nature of God the Son. We can begin to see the nature of God the Holy Spirit. And this is what I just want to lay down here. We're still building the foundation. We are seeing Isaiah is giving us this picture of three different quote-unquote, people, but they're all the same person. It is the same God that we serve, and he is a wonderful counselor, which is the work of the Holy Spirit as he, as he lives within us. It, he is a mighty God, which is the role of God the Father as he rules and governs over us. He is an everlasting Father, again, the role of God the Father, who will never leave us, never forsake us, and who has gone to great lengths to make sure that we know of his love and, and, are, and are able to participate in it. And he is the Prince of Peace. This is Jesus who has come to make a way where there is no way that we may have communion with the Father. It is the Godhead. And this peace that we have, this, this peace that, that, that he brings, it is a radical peace. And we see the radical nature of this peace in the book of Luke. Um, and this is where we see the difference between the peace of Jesus and the peace of man. So we're in Luke chapter 12, 49 to 53. Now this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I have come to set the world on fire. I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, and two in favor and three against. 
Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That is heavy. And like it, it is it's such a heavy verse and it's also confusing if you if you don't really think about it if if you don't have the full context of what Jesus is talking about because we've just come from reading Isaiah as he says that he's the prince of peace and then we see here he's asking do you think that I have come to bring peace and he says no I have come to bring division and it's quite interesting because now we begin to see what peace means according to Jesus, and what peace means according to man. And the two do not coexist. The peace that Jesus brings and the peace that he represents is a peace that is out to destroy and disrupt the peace of man. That's the first point. The peace of Jesus disrupts the peace of man. So what is the peace of man? What is what is this peace that Jesus has come to 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 kind of destroy when he's talking in this in this verse? I split it down into three categories and we're just going to go through them very fast. Um the peace of man. Like what do you think of when you think about peace in the world that you live in? What comes into into your mind when you when you just look at case studies and you look at you know articles when you when you kind of have a deep dive into society today wherever you live and see the cost of peace and what that peace has meant and what kind of comparisons can you draw between that peace and the peace that you know that comes from Christ or the peace that you've read about in the Bible See the peace of man is for lack of a better word it is it it is it is a watered down shallow version of the peace that god wants us to have the peace that jesus wants us to have and in fact it is i would i would go ahead and say it's not just a watered down version it is a direct contradiction and that is why jesus is so bold in saying that i have not come to bring that kind of peace on earth no 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 the peace that i bring it comes with division and it doesn't just come with any division it comes with a deep division can you imagine a peace that disrupts family a peace that disrupts order the order that we have today that can only mean that the order we have today an order that is outside of Christ it is devoid of peace and it is only known as peace because that is what we have come to call it and the reason we've come to call it this is because of these three things and the first one is compromise the peace of man comes from compromise when you think about peace that is not of god for there to be peace among a people for there to be peace among among nations it is an issue of compromise it is you know uh, the most common phrase is let's meet halfway i'll forgo some of my things if you forgo some of your things for the sake of there being no war and that is what peace has come to mean today and i don't want to focus particularly on 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 the you know on on the 
on on this example, I want to bring it into our Christianity. Like what happens when as Christians we have embraced the peace of man? It leads to compromise. And it is a compromise that is coming from an avoidance of conflict. The radical life, the radical the radical call that we have as Christians in relation to this topic today, in relation to today's episode, calls us to have the peace of Christ. And the peace of Christ does not compromise. The peace of man does. And examples of this compromise is areas that, as Christians, we don't want to engage in because we want to avoid conflict. In today's society, we know that sex is king, so everything to do with sex is an area of high risk, quote-unquote. So a lot of us as Christians, we choose not to engage in these areas because we just don't want the conflict. We are compromising. We want to keep the peace, the peace of man. But you see, this is nothing it, it looks nothing like the peace of Christ. And this is why Christ says, I have not come to bring peace. That thing that you know, that thing, the way you, you like engaging, these things that you like doing, that like where, where you get into the situations that I have so graciously put you in for my glory to be seen and you choose to chicken out because you don't want any conflict. You want to keep the peace of man. You do not want the peace that I give you. See, compromise brings an illusion of safety because it just means that we can go on cohabiting. We can go on living together and there will be no war. But see, peace is not the, abs- is, peace is not the absence of war. Peace is calm. Peace is truth. Peace is living where there is no lies That is what peace means on this aspect. And what compromise does is it, it, it essentially says for us as Christians who want to compromise to gain the peace of man and forsake the peace of God, we're essentially saying you can continue to live in the lie that you want to live as long as you don't come over to my side and begin a debate, begin a conversation or challenge me in the way that I live and vice versa. I will not do the same to you. Because I want there to be no war. And we lie to ourselves that that is what peace is. It's the peace of man. It has nothing to do with the God that we serve. The second thing that the peace of man is, it is comfort. The peace of man brings Comfort. And what this means on a deeper level is it avoids responsibility. And isn't this true of just the lives that we live today? We see left, right and center where everyone just wants to be comfortable. No one wants to take responsibility for anything that they've done because that's not my jurisdiction. They have their own mind. They can do ABC, so that's their problem. And I'm going to stay here with my with my issues and I'm going to deal with them. The peace of man brings comfort. And what comfort does is it breeds the ground and it fertilizes the ground for laziness 
the seed of laziness to be planted and it grows and it thrives. And this is where the devil has us as Christians today. He is winning the battle against a radical life for Christ because of the pursuit of the peace of man to gain comfort. He has lied to us that we don't need to take responsibility. He has lied to us that we are, we are not responsible for our families. We're not responsible for our nations. We're not responsible for our schools. We're not responsible for our workplaces. He has convinced us that that is the job of leadership. And this is true, but it is a half-truth. And we know that a half-truth is a full lie. It is the job of leadership, but we have a part to play. We have conversations to start. We have sin to call out. We have, we have wrong processes to correct. And for some of us, for some of you under the sound of my voice, you are or you are headed into those very areas of leadership. And what happens when you get there and you have been trained that you were just supposed to be comfortable and avoid responsibility, all of a sudden it becomes a blame game, shifting blame from party to party and never fully taking responsibility for the issues that are going on in your life, in your family's life or in your society's life. And through this, we completely miss out on the peace of Christ. And what we do is the compromise now leads to comfort and that's why we have these tight bonds that make no sense to break. And this is why Jesus uses this example and says, I have come to split. I have come to bring a division between father and son. It is a tight bond between a father and a son. This is Jesus, the son of God speaking. And he says, I have come to bring division. So he understands the depth of that bond. But this kind of bonds, they come like the, the, the bonds that he's talking about breaking, they have come and they have become so strong because of compromise and comfort. We have completely forsaken the idea of, 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 of right living, the idea of taking responsibility, the idea of saying that, you know what, this might bring conflict, but it is worth having a conversation. It is worth calling out. We have forsaken that way of living so much that he has created this, not just the ground where laziness is bred and blame game is bred, but it has created such a tight knit bond among people who think this way. Because the illusion of peace is so strong because now we're living in a space where, oh my gosh, there is, there's no war, so let's stick to this. And it's not just there's no war, but there's no war, so now I have space to thrive. And that's a quote-unquote thrive, because at the end of the day, it's just ultimate laziness. It is us sinking into the couch of complacency. Sinking into the couch of, it's not my fault, so it's not my problem. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be in as Christians, especially when we're seeking to live a radical life, when we have been called to live a radical life. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I have come to cause division. I have come to divide people against each other. It is deep. It is very deep. And the third one, 
that kind of just sums up the peace of man and what it is. The peace of man is selfish. The peace of man is selfish. What this means is it avoids sacrifice. The peace that Jesus has come to destroy, the peace that he has come to bring division, the, the, the peace that he has come to divide and destroy and completely eradicate is this peace that brings selfishness or harbors selfishness or fosters selfishness because the selfishness leads to an avoidance at all costs of sacrifice. And it takes us back to this, um, to, to the second point of comfort. Because when you're comfort, when you're comfortable, the next natural thing that you would want to do is be selfish. And I know a lot of us don't want to hear this, but we have become so selfish in this generation, even in the past generations that have come and gone. And it's not a thing that has began in this century. Since the beginning of time, this peace of man, these three things, compromise, comfort, and selfishness, have been rampant in the Bible and in history. We see that. We see for the sake of the peace of man, people have become so selfish. They have avoided going out and helping one another. They have avoided like, taking that extra step that means that they might lack for the sake of the brothers and sisters to gain. And it has been so watered down that today, the, the, the sacrifice that we see that is most common is this idea of, you know, for just one pound a day, you could help ABC. For the price of one coffee, you could do ABC. How is that sacrifice? Oh, I didn't have my coffee today. Oh my gosh, that was such a huge sacrifice. Really? Oh, I didn't go for my holiday. Oh, I had to give my money to, you know, a charity and all these things. Oh, I hope they recognize me. What is that? But it brings this false idea, this false sense of peace. We are so selfish as a people today. We are so lost in, in this idea of I've done a good job not really seeing the selfishness in, in it. Because when we come into the Bible and see what true selflessness is, when we see the fact that, you know, people came together and sold everything that they had to assist each other, when we see people who went out and worked tooth and nail to make sure that they had enough, not just for them, not just for their families, but even for strangers. Understand me, I am not saying that being rich is wrong. I am not saying that being like like I'm not saying that 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 you having a huge sum of wealth is is wrong. In fact, that's good if you're in a position where that is what you are doing. I encourage you to go for it. What I am saying is this idea of doing the bare minimum and then going ahead and comparing yourself with other people in your life who have done the bare minimum and then calling yourself selfless is actually being very selfish. And we're doing it for the sake of this feeling of peace. This, 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 it is kind of like a key that gets us into this social club of fellow peacekeepers, quote unquote, peacemakers, quote unquote. 
because we have convinced ourselves that we are better than that person who didn't give anything at all. So they're in their own class, we're in our own class, and now I can live better. I can sleep at night. That is the peace of man. And that is the peace that Jesus has come to completely eradicate. And today, you know, I just want to take a break here and just ask you a few questions. Have you found yourself in this in, the, in these spaces as a Christian? Have you found yourself always compromising? Always trying to get the comfortable life? The, the, you know, the comfortable answer? Trying to have the comfortable way? Have you found yourself being selfish in how you live your life? Even in your giving? Have you ever been challenged to give above and beyond in a way that just makes no sense and have comfortably said no because you have justified that you need these resources more than the person that you have been challenged to give them to? Have you avoided conflict? Have you avoided responsibility? Have you avoided sacrifice? All for the sake of peace. If the answer to this has been yes, then you are beginning to understand what Jesus meant when he said that I have come to divide people against each other. You are getting a glimpse of that, of the seriousness, of the detriment of what peace of man is. But there's hope. There's so much hope as we, as, as we kind of begin to see what the peace of Jesus is. This is a good kind of segue into, into the hopefulness of the radical life we've been called to live. And the reason why I, I had to start with the peace of man was to just expose, to kind of hold up a mirror to you and even to myself, to kind of see the places where we have been lacking so miserably and wondering why our lives are the way they are, wondering why we cannot amount to more when it comes to the spiritual battles that we're fighting, when it comes to spiritual life that we're living, and when it comes to this idea of calling ourselves Christians. It is a good mirror, but now it's time for the message of hope. It's time for, for, for just, you know, knowledge and insight and kind of just sealing up that foundation that we've been setting as we now begin to build up into the coming week as we wind up this three-part conversation. And the peace of Christ, it starts with, it starts us off from the book of John. Again, John 14, verse 27. And this is Jesus as he promises the Holy Spirit. And he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you this peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Isn't that amazing? After, after just seeing what the peace of man is and then kind of starting this statement, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. And if you just stop reading there, like now you think, oh my gosh, is it, is it, is it the peace of man? Because that, that really hasn't satisfied. And he knows, he knows that them, that, 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 that is where our heads would go. But he goes on to say, peace I give you. This is like, this is a peace that is coming from me. Jesus says, 
And he's, he goes on to emphasize, I do not give you this peace as the world gives. See, he is drawing a clear distinction between the peace that man gives, which we have just seen is so contrary. Like it, it is, sorry, it is so contradictory to the peace that Christ gives. He says that that is not the peace that I give. No, no, no. My peace is a peace, and we see it in, in, in other places in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, it says, peace that is beyond understanding. It is a peace that is so beyond us, a peace that is so above the standards that we have, a peace that is, that, that tugs at our very core and allows us to rest. And Jesus winds up the statement by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He gives a command. See, the peace that Christ gives us, it is a commanding peace. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is the peace. And in this one statement, he has gone through these three exam- the, the, these three categories of the peace of man that we have seen and he has completely just eradicated them. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So he says, when you see compromise, when you see comfort, when you see selfishness, do not let your hearts be troubled. And when you have to stand against these things, do not be afraid. Why? Because I have given you a peace that the world does not give. The peace of the world comes with many, many, many terms and conditions. And a lot of those terms condition, the, those terms and conditions are being modified today to include a lack of Christianity to make sure that if you get the peace of the world, you are forfeiting your Christianity, you are forfeiting your relationship with God. It is a compromise that is forcing us to agree with lifestyles that the Bible categorically disagrees with. It is a peace that brings us to a comfort that the world calls sinful because it causes greed and gluttony. It is a peace that forces us to be so selfish that it contradicts the very words of Jesus when he tells us to share, when he tells us to give, when he tells us to empty ourselves for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of those that have been called to Christ and even for the world itself, for those who are in the world. The peace of man today is increasingly getting anti-Christian, and it is causing us to turn away from the radical life, but Christ is telling us, I am giving you a peace that the world doesn't give, and if the world cannot give it, then the world cannot take it away. Let that be known. And again, we're going to go through, in in the next 10 minutes, as we kind of just wind up, the peace of Jesus. And the first one, the peace of Jesus is firm. Jesus lived a very peaceful life. Peace does not mean soft. No, no, no. Jesus was firm in every single thing that he did, and he was intentional. And what does firm mean? Firm, the peace of Jesus being firm, it means that it calls sin, sin, and it calls the sinner loved. That is something that if you 
If you did not know, you should write it down. I don't care if you tattoo it on your forehead. The peace of Christ is firm. It calls sin, sin. And it calls the sinner loved. That is the peace that the world cannot take away from us. And we're living in a time when these lines have been so blurred. Where sin is no longer sin. And the sinner is no longer loved. We're living in a cancel culture. We're living in, 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 this, in, this, in this place where, where everything is so fluid. Everything is so subjective. Everything is like, oh, you just need to have an open mind. We need to be careful as Christians that our minds are not too open that our brains fall out. We need to be specific when we're dealing with sin, to call it sin. And we also need to be specific to know that sin is sin and the sinner is loved because we were once sinners living in sin. And it is only when the sin was called sin and the sinner, us, we were called loved, that we actually began to experience the peace of Christ. So it is our responsibility to make sure that every single person who is around us is aware of the life that they're living, if they're sinful, to know that they're sinful in accordance to the word of God, and to know that even though they're sinners, they're still loved and they're, they are welcome into the kingdom of God to be called righteous. And that brings us into the next thing when it comes to the firmness of the peace of Jesus, especially in this area of calling sin, sin, and the sinner loved. The peace of Jesus is wise. The peace of Jesus is wise. This means that it knows what to tear down and it knows what to build up. And Jesus demonstrated this. And this is, this is where the true essence of the radical life that we've been called to live actually comes into play. We must know what to tear down and we must know what to build up. And it correlates with the first point because we must know to tear down sin and we must know to build up the sinner to the point where they, they know of the fullness of God and they have tasted and seen and they no longer participate in the sin nature that they, that they, that they have been wallowing in, that they have been living in, in their lifestyles and they know of the love of God and they're no longer known as sinners but are called righteous under God. It takes a special kind of wisdom, a wisdom that man cannot give. It is a wisdom in the peace. To know that I must fight tooth and nail to tear down strongholds. Not by our strength, by the way. By the strength of God. To know that I must, I must work tirelessly to love on the sinners until they know that they are no that, that that they have been called far greater things by God the Father. Peace of Jesus is wise. It knows what to tear down and what to build up. And finally, the peace of Jesus is inclusively exclusive. The peace of Jesus is inclusively exclusive, meaning that it is to all but it's not for all. And that's a sad, it's a sad bit of information. 
it is sad to know that this peace that has been given to us, this peace that causes us freedom, this peace that the world cannot give so it cannot take this peace is for everyone. But this peace is not forceful. And only those who accept this peace can actually participate in it. And we see it in the life of Jesus where he, you know, he offered this peace through his teachings. And many people walked away because it was too hard for them. We see it time and time again. Peace is offered, but is not taken. Inclusively exclusive. And let, let me tell you, it is both extremes at the same time. It is holistically and full-heartedly inclusive, but it is also holistically and full-heartedly exclusive. Meaning it is made available to every single person, regardless of their past, regardless of the present, regardless of the future. It is made available for them when they say yes, but it is so exclusive. And very few people actually get to experience it because very few people actually say yes to this peace of Jesus. And the reason why many people say no and very few people say yes is because many people are trapped in compromise, comfort, and selfishness. And if anything is offered to them that is not these three things or not a variation of these three things, it is shunned upon. It is called bigotry. It is called selfishness, ironically. It is called a lack of inclusivity. It is called, it is called all sorts of names, insults. It is, it is so beaten down. Yet, this is the peace that we have been called to as Christians. And we're going to dive into what this actually means for us with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us in the next week. But I just want to kind of wind it up here today. With the hope that we're beginning to see this other facet of God. As we just keep laying down these bricks. That the peace that he has given us. It's not just that, it's not just a peace that allows us to, you know, just do what we want, but is it a peace that encourages us and equips us to go out and actually help and to be used to bring others into his kingdom? It is a radical, radical, radical peace. And it is available to each and every one of us, but there is a counterfeit peace out there that is so disgusting, but that is so mainstream, and we must be aware of that. When we choose to walk in Christ, when we choose to, 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 to kind of take up this mantle of the radical life, we are choosing war. We are choosing disruption. We are choosing to be different and to be set apart. And the only way that we can survive, well, there's many ways, but the main way is embracing the peace of Christ. And this peace is not weak. It is firm, it is wise, and it is inclusively exclusive. 
So my question and challenge to you, brother, sister, listening today is, do you know the peace of Jesus? Or have you been participating in the peace of man? Are you willing to take up the call of this radical life, this radical way of living, this radical call over the generation that we're in as we are yearning for revival? Are you willing to take up the mantle of a peace that brings separation in families? And this could be a physical family, like it could be in the literal sense, or it could be in, in the, you know, in the hypothetical sense, it could be maybe a work family, it could be maybe just upsetting the status quo of where you have grown familiar in. Are you willing to live that radical life? That is the question I leave you with this week. And it's my hope that even as you battle with this, as you you know, go in and, and, and just pray over this, that it will be revealed to you the next steps to take and even to get the strength to actually say, you know what? Yes, I am going to live the radical life. I am going to embrace the peace of Jesus over my life. And for some of you, maybe under the sound of my voice, you have been living in the peace of man and it has caused you so much turmoil in your heart and you have never known just why why am i like this why is it why are things like this why 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 am i in so much pain why am i in so much why is it just so hard and maybe today your eyes have been opened to see that it's because you have been living in compromise in comfort and in selfishness that brings no life and to you i just welcome you into the peace of jesus christ take your seat at his side and just Rest in this peace. And I'm going to finish off by reading this verse to you again, dear brother and sister. He says, peace I leave with you. It is yours. My peace, the peace of Jesus, I give you. It is given to you. And he does not give it as the world gives. So you don't have to earn it. You don't have, you don't have to sustain it. It is his. You have just been called to rest. And he has said, the commands that I give is to not let your hearts be troubled and to not be afraid. It is a command of love because he is saying that I have not given you this peace that holds you hostage. It is a peace that sets you free in your heart and in your mind. God loves you, and he has given you this peace. Man, I wish I could go on, but that's all the time we have this week. Um, I, I hope that I will be able to, that we'll be able to just go on this journey and just continue growing. But until next week, be blessed, and remember, Jesus loves you, and I love you. Bye-bye.